All right, if you want to turn in your Bible to, can I move this out of the way? Is that okay? All right. Mark chapter number four. Mark chapter number four is where we are going to be. And I, uh, I echo uh, the sentiments towards Brother John and uh, his men and his son and just the work that the Lord is doing. And uh, when you're hosting, I, I used to serve as an assistant pastor over at Crossroads Baptist in Fishersville where they have the Makaira Conference. And when you're hosting people, you have to be nice to guests coming in. But over the time, I did truly get to like Brother John Tilly. And he's a good man. And he is, he is down to earth. Here's what I love is I like authentic people. And uh, I ain't got t- time for fake and disingenuous and plastic. And uh, unless you are the best hypocrite of all time, you don't seem like a fake or a plastic person. <laughs> You seem just really authentic, and I really appreciate that. Even the emojis in your text messages wear a cowboy hat. And so, um, it, and so I, I love um, Marlbrook from afar, and it's a, I told Brother John, it is a true, sincere pleasure of mine to be preaching tonight. Um, and uh, I, I don't just say that. I truly mean that. Anytime that I can get up and open up the Word of God, it is an honor of mine. I was called to preach in a pair of khakis and a red button-down shirt when I was a 13-year-old boy in Potts Camp, Mississippi. And uh, uh, I, I have doubted many things in life, but I've never doubted the fact that God created me uh, for the humble privilege of opening up the book and trying to help people. And so um, I'm not going to be the one to help you tonight. I've got nothing to bring, but his word is quite powerful. And so if you would open up your heart and your ear, let him that hath an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says tonight. And if you'll endeavor to listen, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's got something for you through His Word. Such a time as this we have gathered. I want to also commend you and say um, it's phenomenal to see amount, this amount of people investing a Thursday night into church. I know uh, the days of week-long revivals seem gone, but I'm, I'm glad that churches are still doing them. Uh, we have a three-day revival coming up in January, but y'all go all week long, man, so... Uh, and, uh, but seriously, I know it does a pastor's heart good to see his people come out. A hope deferred does make the heart sick, but the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, and I guarantee it's sweet to the pastor and his wife's soul tonight uh, that you are here. And so I appreciate you coming. I appreciate my people for coming. A few people made the trek down beautiful Route 11 and uh, braved 80, well, no, that's 64. Is, is it 81 or 64? Is it 81? Is it 64? It's both, yeah, see, it's just a wicked road, that's all I know, <laughs> it's both. It's, it's, uh, anyway, uh, we risked our lives coming out here, and I appreciate y'all doing that, and uh, that's what I meant to say, uh, and so um, thank y'all for coming out, and he said, you know, you got a solid 45 minutes, and I kind of chuckled under my voice, I was like, okay, I'll try to get 45 minutes, and so I uh, appreciate my people for coming out tonight, and Pastor Aaron and his wife and their a two-month-old boy for being here. Do pray for my daughter, Ellie. She just spiked a fever today. We took her to the hospital. She has strep, and we know antibiotics and the help of the Lord will kick it in a couple days, but I was sure that y'all wouldn't want strep running around in your auditorium, and so I left her home, and if y'all are watching at home, um, uh, y'all obey your mom if you would. Uh, Mark <coughs> Mark chapter number four. Um, I don't know how y'all do it, but if you can and you're able and willing, can y'all go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, Mark chapter number four, and let's begin reading, and we're going to read verses one through eight, and then I'm going to hop down to 14. Let's start in verse number one. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, that he 
uh, that they are talking about is Jesus. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. So, so many came, people uh, came out to, to see Jesus, to see if they could get a miracle from Jesus, to hear from Jesus. There were so many people that he had to step into a boat and kind of launch out into the water. And he began to speak to these people this parable. And using uh, the, the geography there, I know your pastor's been to Israel, the geography there, he'd have used hills that kind of um, uh, ramp down into the Sea of Galilee. Hills and the wind blowing uh, across the sea would carry his voice to these thousands of people. And so he used nature to project his voice. He is standing on a boat and he begins to preach this parable of the sower. Verse 2, And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some of the seed that he sowed fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it has no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And then some of the seed that he had sown fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit." And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. So Jesus tells this parable and his disciples stick around and they end up asking verses 9 through 13, what in the world are you talking about? And Jesus tells them starting in verse 14. He said this, the sower is the one that sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves. And so they endure for a time. But afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended, they wither away. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. Entering in, end up choking that word that was sown and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, and some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. You can be seated. I really appreciate you standing for that. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer one more time. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would put your hand uh, upon me tonight. I pray that you would strengthen me according to your powerful and perfect will. I pray that you would speak through me. This is not my pulpit. This is not my flock. These are not my sheep. This is not my word. This is not my seed. This is not my soil. This is not my ground. I claim nothing. You counted me faithful, put me into the ministry. And so I stand tonight trying to be a sower of the word but I can't touch the soil of these people's heart. It's futile for me to even try, Lord. And this parable is about that sower. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would get down to the soil level. And you would begin to cultivate and prepare hearts. And you would strengthen men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, kids, elderly alike, <clears throat> for your glory and honor tonight. I pray that I would do nothing, even incidentally, to hinder anything that's going on at this church. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me by your grace for the glory of God the Father and the risen Son, Jesus Christ. If there's any sin in me or us, forgive us of it. And please bless us and feed us tonight. And uh, if there's someone who needs to be saved this evening, I pray that tonight would be the night of salvation. I pray that this church and our community would truly see revival 
and revitalization in our hearts and relationships. I pray that you watch over us as we go home as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus is speaking in a parable here in Mark chapter number 4. If you're interested, Matthew speaks about this same parable in Matthew 13, and Luke speaks about this same parable in Luke chapter number 8. Each of them work uh, synoptically or complementarily um, to come together to tell this story from kind of different angles, all saying the same thing, of course. But uh, we're looking at Mark's uh, recitation of Jesus' sermon of the parable of the sower. I think it's uh, necessary for us to understand why Jesus is speaking in parables. Uh, Jesus speaks in parables all the time throughout the New Testament. And if you study the Gospels, and I encourage a lot of people, if you're not reading the Bible currently and you're like, where do I start? There's no better place than to follow Jesus around for a bit. So read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when you do read the Gospels, uh, you're going to bump your head on a lot of low-hanging parables, okay? Parables, parables. What's a parable? What's a parable? It wasn't just some cute little poetic thing. It wasn't just a little Hallmark story. The parables were actually a fulfillment of prophecy that we're not really going to get into. But a parable is a common story that contains a spiritual lesson. Again, it's a common story that contains a spiritual lesson. And there's two major reasons that Jesus taught in parables like this parable of the sower. Number one, to reveal truth to those who really wanted to know Jesus but then number two, to hide truth from those who didn't have a real desire to know Jesus. Uh, one of the Old Testament uh, prophets prophesied that Jesus would speak in this way. And so when Jesus comes into his adult years and he begins to travel and preach post-John the Baptist, he's speaking in parables. And he would speak, he would use a story, uh, this story, an agricultural story. He would use a story and he would hide a spiritual principle down into a commonly themed story and what would happen is the people that were really being drawn by the grace of God to follow God's son the people that were really interested in being disciples of Jesus they would hang around for a while after the message they'd be those people that you have to kick out of church and turn the lights off on and and you all don't have to leave but you can't stay here kind of deal and cut the lights off they would stick around and they say Jesus that was a good message but what in the world are you talking about? We know how to sow seed. Most of us are farmers. We grew up in this land. What are you talking about? And Jesus would divulge and uncover the spiritual truth. The vast majority of the crowd would hear that and say, well, that's a cool story about agriculture. You know what I got out of that? Don't throw seed on the hard ground. Throw it on the good ground, and you might get some fruit at the end of it. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Appreciate it. See you at next time at your spiritual buffet in Beth- Bethsaida. And they would go back home. But the ones who wanted to follow Jesus would stick around and they'd dig into the parable and and they would sit at the feet of Jesus and he would tell them like like he clarifies in 14 through 20. And he taught this truth, this parable about the human heart with a common story easily understood by those in the crowd. Again, this was an agricultural story told to those who lived in an agricultural society just like us. And they were quite possibly in view of a field that Jesus was referring to. Okay, so let's delve into this parable. And let me stop and say this, why this parable is so important. This parable, I'm going to get to it a little bit here in a second. This parable deals with the heart. This parable deals with the heart. And I feel like this is why the Lord led me to preach on this. Because you can't just write revival on a calendar and God be beholden to the dates that you chose. Oh, they're having a revival. I got to get down to 
Oh, goodness, they're having a revival too. I got to get the red eye. I got to fly out. Just because we write revival doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's like, boom, shakalaka, you have revival. That's not how this thing goes. That's almost like conjuring. That's, that's a, edging on witchcraft. For you to think that you can kind of contrive and create some revival just because we meet more than on Sunday and Wednesday. We can't just look at a calendar and say, oh, you know, we had revival. We had, um, and, and, and furthermore, true revival is not looking out of the crowd or someone else in the pew and saying, man, I hope they got that. True revival always stems from a singular human heart. True revival always starts in the heart, at the heart level, in the unseen. So you might be like, why aren't you preaching about Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones where God breathed his breath on dry bones because our country's dry bones and we need to be breathed back together for the glory of God. Why aren't you preaching a revival message like that? Number one, because the Holy Spirit didn't tell me to preach a message like that. Number two, because let's be practical here. If you want to see revival, it starts in your heart, not your pastor's heart, not your wife's heart, your heart. And revival is not just about things being more excited at church. We're, we need revival in our marriages, and we need a revival in our families, in our children, and that impacts school and the workplace and the marketplace. Revival starts at the heart level. That's why we're preaching on this parable. But first, I see the sower and his seed. The sower and his seed. The field that Jesus was referring to was a long field surrounded by walking paths. You can kind of look at it like this auditorium. If the pews, the pews would be the field that they're trying to sow on, and the wayside that you hear about, like my church name, the wayside, the hard ground, the horrible ground, still don't know why they named our church wayside. It wasn't a good thing in the parable, but whatever, it happened way before I was alive, okay? If they're sowing here, there are paths right here, and these paths would provide barriers field to field, and it would provide a place for the sower to walk and to sow seed. So we're starting looking at the sower and his seed in that process. The sower would go out into the field and he would toss the seed liberally in all directions. The sower in this story, let's begin to apply this. The sower in this story would be preachers. It would be preachers. Yes, you can make the um, uh, doctrinal case that the main sower of the seed is the Holy Spirit and how he applies it to our heart, but I, I'm taking it to more, a little bit more of a pragmatic, applicable um, manner. The sower in this story I see is preachers. Uh, for Marlbrook, raise your hand if you're members of Marlbrook Baptist Church, right? That's what I figured, the vast majority of people. So one of the main sowers in this church would be Pastor John Tilly. He's a sower of the seed. In each of the gospel accounts, though, I want you to understand this. Did you realize something about what you just read? In each of the gospel accounts, there's really no descriptors. I knocked my mic off, but did you notice that my voice level didn't go down at all? I'm loud enough. They didn't even have me up. Look at that. Give me one second. There we are. Notice in the gospel accounts, there's really no descriptors given about the sower. It just says the sower went forth to sow. The sower just sows. There's nothing fancy that takes place. There's no pressure on the sower to get it right. There's no skills that are mentioned about the sower. There's no specific methods that are encouraged. We spend all of our daggum time as Christians critiquing the sowers. How they sow. Well, he didn't sow like I wanted him to sow this Sunday. 
You know, I, you know, my, my sower, he uses these new methods. Well, my sower, you know, he's died to the wool and he uses these new methods. And hey, do you understand that God, if God doesn't give descriptors, descriptors about the sower, maybe Baptist parishioners should, should stop giving their opinionated descriptors about sowers as well. It's very easy to talk about a preacher until you get up from behind the pulpit and you start sowing. It's a little different. And that's, why are you being so sassy, Pastor Levi? I grew up a preacher's kid. I watched people for 18 years tell my daddy how to do his job. The moment he'd be like, hey, would you pass out a bulletin? Oh, I don't feel called to do that. Okay. <laughs> no skills are mentioned about the sower. No specific methods are encouraged. He just sows. The parable is not about the skills of the sower. I know that y'all have a couple preacher boys. Are they here tonight? A couple preacher boys coming up? Preacher boys coming up in this church, God is not concerned. If God's called you to preach, he's not concerned with your skill. The power lies in the word, not just in the delivery. I mean, being, the pulpiteering will come with practice, but if you're getting into the ministry, young preacher boys, if you're young into this thing, your, your major goal is to make sure that you're just sowing the seed. Don't try to be like nobody else. You just get up behind the pulpit and sow the seed. It's not primarily, this week is not primarily about Heath or Ralph or Lane or Levi or Eli or John. This parable is not about your preacher. Furthermore, this parable is not about the effectiveness of the seed. The seed, no matter how it is sown, will do its job if the ground is right. So if the sower is the preacher, then what's the seed? I'm glad you asked. Luke 8, 11 says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The flesh and the glory of man withers away, but the word of our God endures forever. You see, it's the express job of the preacher to simply sow the seed of God's word. Jesus said he would build his church. There shouldn't be pressure on any pastor at this church to build Marlbrook Baptist Church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail again. Well, the church ain't growing fast enough. Then take it up with Jesus. It's his fault. It's Jesus. Well, our church ain't growing fast enough. Then it's his problem. Take it up with Jesus. So many times we, we, we assume that it's the pastor's job to grow the church. It's, it's not the pastor's job to grow the church. That, that's Jesus' express job. It's just our job to preach. And woe unto us if we don't preach. Woe unto the church that doesn't sow the seed of God's word. Woe unto the church that allows the doctrines of our salvation to take a backseat to methods, events, calendars, and conferences. The word of God must come before all else that we do. 2 Timothy 4 says this, I charge thee therefore before God, you better preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season, whether they come or not, whether they like you or not, whether the culture wants it or not, you just preach, baby. It doesn't say baby. It may say baby in the ESV, but I use the King James. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely in the message Bible. 1 Corinthians 9.16, for though I preach the gospel, I've got nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. You need to understand right off the top about this parable. It's not about the skills of the sower. 
It's not about the effectiveness of the seed. So what is it about? Again, I'm glad you asked. You're insanely curious tonight, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Point one is about sower and seed. Point two is about the soil. Let's get to what this is talking about. If the preacher is the sower and the seed is the word of God, then the soil is the human heart. It's the preacher's job to sow the seed. It's the hearer's job to prepare the soil. Let me say that again. It is your preacher's job to preach on Sunday morning and Sunday night if y'all meet and Wednesday evenings if you meet. But it's the hearer's job to prepare the soil. Luke 8, 15, here's the goal. But they on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth much fruit with patience. The goal of the hearer, the goal of every person that came to church tonight to hear preaching should be to have good soil for the seed to fall on. The goal of the people of Marlbrook and the surrounding churches should be to have a good and honest heart ready to receive the message the Lord gives to the one he called to sow. So I have two questions for you. Do you, you don't have to answer, do you have a good and honest heart? Do you have a good and honest heart? Is your soil in peak condition to receive seed when you come to church? Do you prepare your heart each week before coming to church? Before the priest went in and did all the major stuff in the tabernacle, they had to prepare outside of the tabernacle. They had to look into Lavar, if I'm not mistaken, and, and see the reflection of themselves and wash up and sacrifice and do certain things, and then they stepped in. Are we preparing ourselves? Let's just get base level. Are you preparing yourself to come to church each time you come to church? Is your mind at all on Saturday night stayed on the fact that you will be receiving seed that the sower spent hours and hours and hours gathering for you throughout the week on your way to church? Is it more about who gets the song of their choice on the radio or the kids shutting up in the back or buckling back up on, in the back, my children? What is, where is your mind and where is your heart? Do you ever take a moment to make sure that your heart is ready for the preaching? You see, this thing of church is a major two-way street. Yeah. And there's so much pressure on the pulpit to get it right. My friend, there's, I'd venture to say equal or more pressure on you to make sure your heart's right when you come. Right. You ain't going to get nothing. And here's what's going to happen. If you're never preparing your heart and you ain't never getting nothing, you'll end up eating your preacher alive over Sunday afternoon lunch. Oh, he lost his touch. Maybe your heart's a, your heart's a little hard. If you're not preparing the soil of your heart, I'm not beating you up at all. This is for me too. Are we preparing our Are we worshiping and sacrificing and getting clean before we come? Or are we using the song service to kind of like shake the rust off? We rolled out of bed 10 minutes before church and amazing. Come on, wake up, baby, wake up. They've been begging you to come to Sunday school just so you'll know. Sunday school is a good time to shake the rust off, all right? To like wake up. If you're going to fall asleep, fall asleep on your Sunday school teacher. Sorry, Sunday school teachers. Don't be rolling up in here. That's why... 
They don't tell you this, but that's why we have Sunday school, so you can wake up. Ain't nobody wanting to get up that early, all right? We have Sunday school so you can fall asleep while you're drinking your coffee and that caffeine will kick in by the song services. Don't drag into the song services trying to wake yourself up. You should be prepared. Why is it the third song is always the highest sung song? You get to the third one, them babies are turning and burning in the music. You get to that first one, they're, oh, dragging into the song. Prepare your heart for church. Other people cannot prepare your heart for you. It's not your pastor or your song leader's job to prepare your heart. We can't neglect the soil of our hearts, then walk into a building for one hour each week and hope the preacher does all the cultivating, plowing, and sowing necessary to make us healthy Christians. Jesus focuses on the soil of this parable. But here's the deal. Preachers can't fix soil. Preachers can't touch your heart. They can't fix your heart. They can't ready your heart. Only the Word of God can get that deep. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The preacher cannot get that deep. Only the Word can. Jesus then speaks to the different types of soil in the human heart. We see the sower and his seed. We see the soil. Now look quickly at the types of soil. I see number one. We're going to kind of work backwards a little bit. We're going to look at the good ground first. The good ground, again, is an honest and pure heart that hears the Word, that keeps it and then brings forth fruit. Hear this, please. The real mark of a of good soil is fruit. Not the amount of fruit, but the enduring presence of fruit. Jesus said, some of y'all are going to bring forth 30, some of y'all are going to bring forth 60, some of y'all are going to bring forth 100. The real mark of true Christianity, that, you're, that your heart's in a good place, is the presence of enduring fruit. We're not fruit inspectors. You don't get around and say, well, I got a ton more than you. Oh, you only got two pieces of fruit? I've got 40 pieces. Look at me. Look at all this fruit. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Bearing fruit is the purpose of every disciple. You don't sow fruit-bearing seed to bring forth bushes. When you sow fruit-bearing seed, you aren't looking for dense foliage. You're expecting fruit. And when God sows seed... Every Sunday, seed. Every Wednesday, seed. Every night of revival, seed is sown into your heart. He's not just hoping for more dense, green, leafy foliage. He's hoping for deeper roots and good soil that's going to bring forth fruit to His glory, that they may see the world, that they may see your good works and then glorify the Father which is in heaven. Roll into the book of John. God is very intent on producing fruit in our life. And when God sows seed week to week into your life, he isn't just looking for more dense foliage or what I would call a larger audience, just more people sitting around. Oh, look, the true, the true um, uh, descriptor, I guess you would say, the true evidence, that's better, that a church is seeing revival is not more people. Let me say that again. Because it goes against culture. It goes against a lot of Jude 1 type stuff that's happening in our churches. It goes against a lot of country clubbiness that is hitting our culture and taking over our churches. The true evidence of revival is not just more dense 
foliage being in the auditorium. Not just more people. In fact, if you're interested, if you're not, you still have to sit here and listen to it, so you might as well have a good attitude. If you're interested, in fact, every time there was a large crowd that came around Jesus, he'd preach an offensive message about he's the great I am or something like that. He's the bread of life. He's the great I am. One of the seven I am statements in the book of John. And he'd run all them cats off. 5,000 plus people came on Tuesday. I don't know if it's Tuesday, but it's Tuesday. Nailed it. 5,000 people came on Tuesday to Bethsaida, and they were fed. But on Wednesday, the very next morning, Jesus gets up and preaches the bread of life message, and in John 6, 6, 6, all of them leave. John 6, 6, 6, 6, all of the, all the dense foliage leaves. And Jesus turns to his 12, and he says, will you walk away as well? And Peter looks back, and he said, where are we going to go? You give us the words of life. You're the sower. We need the seed. We want fruit. So don't just look at, man, our church is seeing revival because a lot of people are here. Dead things swell, living things grow. Be very, very careful. Oh, look at all the people. Remember, with droves of new people is also how Satan slips in wolves in sheep's clothing. Be real careful about, man, sowing this fruit-bearing seed but looking for foliage. No, no. What God's goal is, is enduring fruit in the life of Christians. That's what his goal is. He's expecting fruit, a a return on his investment, and only good ground is going to give him that. The Bible clearly says that you shall know them by their fruits. In this region of Christianity, our county, our state, will either be known, this church, Marlbrook, you'll, you'll be known as a hardened place, beaten down by life, or a stony place, with unstable, quick ups and downs, or or thorny ground where people are overrun with selfishness and temporal cares, or you'll be a church in a community. Your heart will be a place, your home will be a place, your marriage can be a place that brings forth fruit, the lasting glory of God. Man, desire and pray that God would graciously give you good soil. And number two, I see the thorny ground. The thorny ground is the heart that has been overrun with the things of life, making it virtually impossible for the word of God to take root. 1 John 2.15 speaks to this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Matthew 19 said, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, why is this the case? Some of us just started gripping our wallets really tight. Oh, hold up, man. You telling me I ain't going to heaven because I'm rich? I didn't say that. I'll get there. Why is this the case? Why is it so difficult for a rich man to truly receive Christ? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us, here's why it's so difficult for people smothered with the goodness and benefits and riches of God to receive Christ in the seed that's being sown because riches ensnare us. Ask Jesus' treasurer, Judas. Verse Timothy 6 says this, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich will fall into temptations and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Money is not the root of all evil. We get that wrong. Our tattoos are wrong. Our Hallmark cards are wrong. Our mugs are wrong. 
money is not the root. Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. You got it wrong. The love of money is the root of all evil. By the way, I go back. If you have a tattoo that says money is the root of all evil, what in the world? That don't make no sense, does it? That was a horrible illustration. I don't know why I said that. Just strike that from the record. That was a horrible use of money, and you've been ensnared by your riches if you got a tattoo that says that, okay? For the love of money, you set in your heart and your affections on money. That's the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through, almost like thorns, thorny ground, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The thorns that grew from the ground in this parable of the sower represented an ensnared rich man. Now listen, before we think this doesn't apply to us because of our banking account, Ask yourself this question tonight. Am I richly blessed? If you are richly blessed, would you say amen? amen. Am I richly blessed? I ain't talking about money. Money is the cheapest of all God's blessings. He paves the streets with gold. He ain't impressed with the United States dollar that ain't worth the paper it was printed on. But are you richly blessed? I would say that all of us here are rich individuals. We are daily loaded down with the benefits of Christ. Then follow that question up with this. Have we allowed our blessings and possessions to creep in between us and the Lord? Proverbs 24, Solomon's talking to his teenage boy. And he says, I walked by the field of the slothful, someone who let their guard down. And lo, I, I beheld something. The stone wall was broken down and thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and I beheld. Lo, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come. These thorns are things that ensnare us. We can let our guard down, and even the good things that God has given us can ensnare us in life. Ask that cell phone in your pocket. Ask that comfortable house you live in. All these good things that God lavishly pours upon his children because Christ came to give us life and life more abundant. Christ came to make sure that our joy was full. God gives with both hands wide open. He does not hold back from his kids. And God has blessed us. We are fat ticks on the hound dogs of God's grace. That's what we are. We are so blessed, but our American Western riches, oh, I'm poor. I guarantee you, you are in the top 1% of rich people in this world. People would give both of their daggum femurs to have the life that you have in most places of the world. We are richly blessed, and we got to be careful that those comforts, those creature comforts, those riches that God has given us don't make our ground thorny and distracted. It's easy to let our guards down and stop tending to the soil of our hearts. Our idle hands can turn a field full of great soil into a field covered with thorns quick. Number three, I see the stony ground. That stony ground is the sneakiest of all, and I'll tell you why. Because stony ground looks good on the outside. Preacher, you okay if I take my coat off? Is that all right? I'm hot. Rosacea is starting to set in. I'm getting hot right now. I'm about to start sweating. All right. The stony ground is the sneakiest of all because it, it goes again. 
Give me one second. I'm sorry. Stony ground's the sneakiest of all because it looks good on the outside. To the naked eye, the soil can look like it's fit to sow in. But what lies just beneath the surface tells the true story. Luke 8 says, They on the rock are they which, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But they have no root. And so for a while they believe, but in time of temptation they fall away. You see, stony ground was far from the optimal environment for something to grow in. Let me say this again because I think that this is the ground that a lot of us are going to struggle with and possibly even have tonight. Because the vast majority of the time when we gather, man, this soil looks good. We're all, this soil wears slacks and suits. This soil uses the King James. Wow. This soil's independent Baptist, I think. I don't know. I don't even know what y'all are. I should have asked before I came. This church, it, man, look, this soil looks the part. That Sunday school teacher looks the part. That preacher looks the part. That preacher's wife looks the part. Those preacher kids look the Man, the soil's pretty good here at Marlborough, but you be careful because the stony ground is what will get you because the top can look really good, but what lies just below the surface is what tells the story. And if you got stony ground just below the surface, remind, remind yourself, what are you made of? You came from the dust. From the dust you came to the dust you shall return. God knows our frame that we are but dust. We are ground. We are the dust of the ground made. Let me ask you this. What lies just below your surface? Is there any stones down in there? The stony ground affects everything in that area. Stones kept the elements for growth from doing what they were intended to do. Stones blocked roots from extending deep. Stones kept the water out of the soil. Stones made the sower's job much harder. Stones kept fruit from being born. Stones made endurance pretty much impossible. You see, the endurance of growth will tell the true story of what lies beneath. Listen, new growth is great, but long-term growth is better. Amen. Growth you can see is great, but deep roots are better. Good-looking soil is great, but well-watered soil, unencumbered by stones, is better. Exciting days at church are great. Long-term growth is better. New projects that are seen are great. Deep roots are better. A good-looking church with good-looking people are great. Well-watered soil is better. But stones can keep us from having good soil that allow our roots to be rooted in Christ and built up, allow our roots to keep from running deep. So let me ask this question. And I'm going to ask it, humanly speaking, but I think the Holy Spirit is going to ask it and maybe point some things out in your heart tonight. Please just listen to him. What are your stones? Maybe they were placed there by an enemy. What are you talking about? In 2 Kings 3, when a force marched into a certain region, they didn't just kill the people and tear things down. They went out to their fields and they took large stones and they sowed stones into their fields because they didn't just want to hurt those people in the now and now. When those people started to kind of regather themselves and start to build, do you know what they needed? Crops. They needed fields. And those people, when they finally started getting back 
to it a little bit after that huge battle, that massive war that almost did them in. They would go out to the fields, and here's what they'd, they'd start to shovel into the ground, just like around here in Virginia. <laughs> you try to dig a hole, dink, ah, oh, come on, man. And enemies were very smart. They would come in, and they would sow large stones in the ground, and it would make it very hard to reap during harvest season. Make it very hard for those people to make a comeback. Those enemies were very smart and shrewd. They would put stones in the ground. And so the people would spend all their time digging out stones as opposed to being laborers in the harvest. Let him that hath an ear to hear hear what the Spirit says, please. Let me say this again. The enemy is smart because he wants, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. The enemy is smart because he wants us spending all of our stinking time digging out stones instead of reaping the harvest at the imminent return of Christ. So let me ask this, what are your stones? Maybe the enemy put them there, but maybe you put them there. Maybe you put them there. Maybe something happened to you and I'm not going to poke around in your business because it's not my place and I'm not your pastor. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe someone said something to you. Maybe something was done towards you. And maybe your stone is the stone of unforgiveness. Maybe your stone is the stone of bitterness. Can't always blame the enemy. And I promise you this, Satan's powerful, but you're wrapped in powerful flesh too. You're just as good as putting stones down in the soil as he is. In fact, he's just totally fine sitting back and letting you burn your own life down. Your flesh is plenty strong enough. Oh, devil's been messing with me today. He probably ain't. He ain't omnipresent, right? You might have like a low-level demon coming after you, but most of the time it's your flesh. That's what it is. Oh, the devil's been messing with me today. You think he's here in Virginia instead of Israel? Trying to raise up the Antichrist or something? You think he's... I love you, Kent. You're important. But I highly doubt Satan's after you, bro. <laughs> Satan knows how powerful your flesh is and how good you are at keeping stones below the soil. He ain't got to come over here. He might send some whippersnapper upstart demon who's trying to earn his stripes to mess with you, but we're totally fine and capable of putting stones in our the soil of our own hearts. So let's stop blaming everything on the enemy, okay? Let's stop blaming everything on Lucifer. Yeah, he, he deserves a lot of blame. He's a loser. But we have to be able to take some culpability as well. Because if you're not, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. It's pretty binding. Well, you don't know what they did. True. But I know what we did to God on the cross. And he forgave us. I mean, there's levels to this, right? Well, she was super mean. You killed God with your sin. And he forgave you. Bitterness is a stone. Not letting go is a stone. Worry is a stone. Anxiety is a stone. Be anxious for nothing. 
And in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. You trust in Him and the peace of God for ruling your hearts and minds. Worry, anxiety, fear. Not the healthy fear of God that we need to have, but this, this phobos or delia type fear, that's this cowardice, this timidity, this, 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 this walking through life scared of everything. That can be a stone too. The Bible says that God, perfect love, casts out fear. God reaches down in there with his perfect love and digs out that stone and hurls it. Perfect love. God has not given us the stone of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. What is your stone that you have left down in the soil? So many times we're focused on everybody else's. Jesus is coming back soon. Or he could punch your ticket at any time. You will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. And everything that was all the fruit that was not brought forth for his glory is going to burn away. And only the things that were done for Christ will last. Enduring fruit will last. Better stop complaining about what everybody else has done to you. With the help of the Holy Ghost and the grace of God, you want to see a revival in your life? Do the hard work of repentance. Do the hard work of self-examination. Watch this. Oh, I feel the Lord on this. Please. Search me, oh God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. You know what the psalmist said? You know what David said in Psalm 51? Psalm 51 is when David came back to, uh, back to God. That was a confessional chapter. He didn't get in there and say, God, forgive Bathsheba for her temptation towards me. God, if I'd still have my kingdom and Absalom wouldn't be dead and my other son wouldn't have done that and that baby wouldn't have died and that wouldn't have happened if Bathsheba wouldn't have seduced me. You know what David said in Psalm 51? He said, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Against you and you only have I sinned. I, I was shaping an iniquity, O oh God. Forgive me. And then I will offer sacrifices. And then I will teach sinners your ways. And then I will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But before I get to doing more work for you, I got some stones down in my heart. And because a preacher, Nathan, a sower, looked at David and he said, you got stones in your heart, David. David came before God and he said, get them out, please. Thank God he did. What are your stones tonight? Pornography? The idol of media, things that sit below the surface that nobody can see, pride, anger that your wife sees, your kid sees, but nobody else sees. What's your stone? No matter where the stones come from, if the soil of your heart is littered with them, it will affect your spiritual growth. What's keeping you from growing? What's stuck in your heart that the natural man cannot see? What lies beneath the surface? When the pressure is applied, do you wilt away? When temptations rise, do you wilt? When the heat is turned up, do you wilt? How deep are your roots? Is there anything beneath the surface for the word to hold on to? Is public perception and private reality different? Lastly, I see the hard ground, and I'm, I'm past 45 minutes, but I'm skiing downhill. I'm trying, okay? Okay, he said it. I will. You've already taken the love offering, so let's just go ahead and... 
he's saying it, but the preacher didn't say it, so I'm kind of in between right now. So, oh, he said it. Okay, here we go. Another 45. No, I'm teasing. Kids are like, please get us out of here, Father. He's yelling at us about stones, and we have no idea what he's talking about. Listen. Lastly, I see the hard ground. It was impossible for seed to penetrate this hardened ground. And as the seed would sit atop the ground, birds would swoop down and eat it. This seed was waste, the seed was wasted on hard ground. And Jesus explained what that meant spiritually. Luke 8, 12. Those by the wayside on the hard ground are those that hear, but then comes the devil and takes the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. So it's evident that Jesus is referring to a lost person here. Why do we know this? Because the seed hadn't penetrated the ground. Why do we know this? Because the devil, the fowl of the air, the principality of the power of the air, the ruler of the darkness of this world, still had free reign to pluck up the seed. See, when you get saved, I ain't calling Jesus a scarecrow, but when you get saved, birds can't land on your soil and just pluck it up when they want to anymore. Seven, devil ain't got no free reign over your soil once you get saved, but the hard ground, the birds could still land at their leisure and pluck up the seed, and it would never penetrate the hard heart. And the devil did this before they believed and were saved, Jesus said in Luke 8. So here's my question. It's my final question tonight. Has the word of God ever truly penetrated your heart? Or is preaching like seed being thrown at you only to bounce atop the hardness of your earth-made heart? Let me say that again. Oh, I, use, I see something right here. This is a little bit better. Give me one second. Got some cough drops. I'm going to act like this is seed. Has the word of God penetrated your heart? Or does preaching feel like this to you? Seed that hits the top of your heart and just sits there. Doesn't make any impact. Sunday to Sunday, how does preaching feel for you? How does the Word of God hit you? When you read your Bible, if you do, how does it hit? Is it, if you picked up a handful of seed and you hurled it at someone, that's going to sting. It's going to be more offensive. Like, stop throwing your seed at me, man. If Johnny Appleseed walked up to you and pelted you with a handful of seed, you ain't going to like Johnny Appleseed, are you? No. Ah, stop it, man. Is that what preaching is like to you? Stop. Has the word of God ever truly penetrated your heart? You can know all the parables and still be lost. Does the word of God stay with you or is it gone the moment you leave church? Does the devil have free reign in your life to pluck up the seed? Have you ever truly believed and been saved? Has the seed taken hold? I'm hearing what you're saying, Brother Levi, but can you give me a little bit more? Sure. Psalm 19 says that when the seed take, takes hold, the word of God will enlighten the eyes, make wise the simple, convert the soul, and rejoice the heart. So let me ask you this. Does the word of God or has the word of God ever enlightened your eyes, made you see different, 
with the eyes of faith? Has the word of God ever converted your soul? Has the word of God ever regenerated you and made you different and giving you new appetites and giving you... See, what we look, like, what we look for is immediate fruit. That's legal. I don't like that. Someone gets saved, oh, you know, we're the barometer of, look, you know, they're still struggling with this. Or they're not producing. I'm not asking that. You know if the word of God has given you new appetites. You know if the word of God is giving you new desires. You may still struggle with the old Adamic nature. You may not be bearing fruit at the clip you want to. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, has the word of God made you new? Does the word of God rejoice your heart? Or is it as cold as cough drops hitting a stage on a Thursday night? Because the word of God for a believer... Don't feel like that. A hard heart will have no growth or signs of life. A hard heart will remain the same. A hard heart rejects the efforts of the seed and the sower. But there's hope. There is someone who can pierce your hard heart. Listen, the sower can't, but the Savior can Isaiah 53, you watch, keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all time. For he shall grow up before him, Jesus, the prophecy of Christ. Look at this. Christ will grow up before him as a tender plant out of a dry ground. I thought you said that it it was impossible for something to grow out of hard ground. For with God, all things are possible. I can't change your heart. You can't wake up your dead body. You have to be quickened to this thing, baby. You can't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to be a Christian. A pastor can't get down into your hard heart and make you a Christian. But there is a Savior that can come forth in you and bring new life in you like a tender plant out of a dry ground. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Stripes. That reminds me of the verse that says, they made long their furrows upon his back. Almost like they were cultivating soil. The Bible says with the cat of nine tails, they scourged him and they furrowed him as if they were cultivating soil. And by those stripes, Christ's body was cultivated so you could come alive. And it was at Calvary that every hard heart can receive hope that it can one day be softened and saved. Yeah, we want the good ground, but tonight we heard about the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the hardened ground. Y'all, I see the hardened ground at Calvary. Golgotha, the place of a skull. Hard ground. Remember the sower went forth to sow on the wayside, on the outskirts of the field. Where was Christ crucified? on the outskirts of Jerusalem, on the wayside, right by the road that people would walk, on the wayside. Christ was crucified and his cross 
went down into a hard place of Golgotha. Look at that cross penetrated the hard ground of Golgotha. Okay, I see how the cross impacted the hard ground, but how did, where does the thorns come in? Where did they put atop the head of your king? Crown of thorns. What about, okay, okay, I get it. Uh, the hard ground, Golgotha, pretty cool. I see the wayside, that was pretty cool. Thorns, crown of thorns. What about the stone? What did Jesus roll away on the third morning? Remove the stone. God shows you through the gospel, his death and his resurrection, that he can take any type of soil turn it into good soil. If you really want revival tonight, if you want to be saved tonight, you better start with Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I thank you for your time. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, please. I'm going to say one word and I'm going to invite Pastor John up and I'm going to hand off an uh, invitation to him so he can shepherd and lead as he sees fit. But question number one, nobody looking around, please. Question number one, if you're a Christian and you know, you know that you know you're fully persuaded in your own heart that Christ is your king and you've been saved and the word of God helped you tonight, if you were a Christian and the word of God helped you, would you lift your hand this evening all over the room? Now, here's the thing. You can put them down. I don't know how it helped you. I'm just a sower. So if you're a Christian, if you're a son and daughter of the king and he's talking to you, would you just say, yes, sir? Whatever he's trying to deal with in the soil of your heart, just surrender to him. It may be uncomfortable, but I promise you, the chastening and or the judgment's much worse. Just let him do his work. Have thine own way, Lord. With a still, small voice, just let the Holy Spirit work on the soil of your heart. But I ask this second question. If you were to die tonight and you've been convinced by the Holy Spirit tonight that you are the hard ground and you've never been saved, the Word of God has never penetrated your heart, has never rejoiced it and converted it and made it wise and enlightened the eyes of your heart. If that all seemed foreign to you, but tonight it makes sense that you know why? You know why I don't get anything from Christianity? I'm not a Christian. But I want to be saved tonight. Tonight is the night of salvation. And if that's you tonight, I'd really like to pray for you. If there's anybody sitting in here tonight, and you know that you're not saved, and you are the hard ground, but you would like to be saved and made anew by that tender plant that we talked about, would you lift your hand quietly? Is there anybody like that tonight? You would like to be saved? I see those three hands. You can put those down. Let me ask this one more time. If there's anybody here tonight, you know for certain that you are not saved, but the Lord told you clearly tonight. Tonight I want to save you. By grace, can you be saved through faith and that not of yourselves? It's not of works. It's not about you making the soil better. The Holy Spirit cultivated your lost heart tonight. He started planting the seed of the gospel. If that's you tonight, let me ask this one more time. Would you quietly lift your hand if you'd like to be saved? Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. 
because this is not my theater, this is not my context. Everybody, keep your head bowed and eyes closed. For the hands that were raised, can you just look at me real quick? How you doing? I know we don't know each other, and I'm not the preacher here at this church. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to ask Brother John, would you have your wife come sit on this front pew right over here? Would you mind just going to sit beside her and letting her chat with you for just a second? Would that be okay with you? If I was the pastor here and my wife was here, I'd be talking to you, but I'm going to hand you off to Brother John's wife. Is that okay? You just go sit over there by her, and she's going to talk to you. You raise your hand, and you just articulate whatever the Lord's doing in your heart to her, okay? You got that, Miss Tilly? Everybody keep your eyes closed and head bowed. You go, you go ahead and go over there if you would, even if you need to step out with her or whatever you need to do, all right? Christians, continue to pray that God would work in your heart and pray for this, the soul of this hand that was raised. Brother John, would you come forward? I'm going to hand it over to you, my friend. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's give the Lord the time he deserves. I'm going to hand it over to the under-shepherd of this church, and I really appreciate your time tonight. Amen, amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Brother Levi.